Hi, this is Art Subcheck, author of Smart Calling, and you're listening to the SAS. What? Is this a typo? It's not? That's the name of it? <laughs> okay, all right, let me do this again. Hi, this is Art Subcheck, author of Smart Calling, and you're listening to the SAS. Okay, I got this. Hi, this is Art Subcheck, author of Smart Calling, and you're listening to The Sassholes. Oh, this is going to be great. I can't wait to talk to these guys. Wow. Welcome to The Sassholes, a <laughs> show ded- dedicated to the issues within the software as a service industry. Jamie, Jason, and Pete have a combined 100 years of making mistakes. They're more than happy to share them with you. Please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts and smash that like button on Facebook, Instagram, and follow us on Twitter. Today, we are joined with very special guest, Art Subcheck, telesales legend and author of Smart Calling. Before we get to Art, we have an ad. Jamie, what's that ad? Uh, it's our usual ad, our sponsor, uh, NeuroNoodle. This episode is brought to you by NeuroNoodle. Get a doodle of your noodle today, a brain map, and find out why you can get rid of anxiety or panic attacks or any mental health issues. Visit NeuroNoodle.com. Tell them the sasshole sent you and get 50% off. And tell them Jamie sent you and you can get 5% off. It's mm-hmm. also good for call reluctance. What's next, Carney? What is call reluctance? That's a new one. Oh, that's not new. Art will tell you. For me, it is. For you? Mm -hmm. Arnie. Yes, Pete. Arnie. Yes, Pete. My friend writes songs about sewing machines. He's a singer-songwriter, or so it seems. Leave us some comments on our blog at sassholes.net. We got to do that before the the joke. I I read it five or six times. He said it, and I couldn't stop with the saying the punchline over and over. It's very sing-songy and enjoyable. It's, 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 it's good. It's a, it's Can a good twister. Can we not encourage this behavior? <laughs> it's good. To, it's good to start with it on a before a call block. Yeah, got, got a couple quick shout-outs here, guys. Kyle Singles, remember that dude? He was a young pup, started off the street in sales. Listened to a little Art Subcheck and Brian Tracy. He turned into the manager of the year at Cameo. Ooh, manager of the year. Manager of the year. Steve Prohl. When are we going to get on Cameo? When are we going to get on Cameo? Uh, Well, I think the minimum is 75 cents. We haven't hit that. (laughs) We haven't hit that yet. Uh, uh, Steve Prohl, one year pop menu. Remember Steve Prohl? Yeah, I remember Steve. All right. Pop, and, men, uh, a lot of those guys, or all those guys came from uh, our former employer. Well, they're popping those wallets over there. Mm-hmm. Rob Sons at MC, happy birthday. So news, Carney. Jobs. Yes. Uh, un- uh, Unemployment is actually showing signs of recovery from what I saw this morning. So it's under, under 700,000. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Not to the 600,000 that lost their jobs, but it's... Because- it is a recovering economy. From what I'm hearing, the majority of the recovering is in, like, lower level to uh, um, start, like, newer employees, um, which those usually rebound first because it's, you know, it's, it's 
But you know what? You know who's employed, guys? The really good salespeople always yes. have jobs. Always. Is wait, that wait, one one news item we got to cover, Pete? Yeah. Who died? No, no, nobody died. That I, I mean, I'm sure somebody died, but that's not my news item. The yeah. the ship that is logging up the Suez Canal, the thing is sideways ah. in the Suez Canal. We're talking about an economic recovery, but we've got a massive interruption of global supply chain happening as we speak. <laughs> it is sideways. The, the price of Vaseline has skyrocketed. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's unbelievable. <laughs> There's a great picture of it in the in the journal this morning. Oh, so. you think you're cl- clogged up in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, now that we got all this smart stuff out of the way, we have Art Subject. Art, thank you for coming on board. You thank must you have had a really, really slow week. <laughs> thank you for having me, guys. I'm, you know, just listening to you guys. I'm wondering if I need some of that neuro noodle before I get on here. <laughs> you will afterward for the PTSD. Oh, you will. Yeah. <laughs> neuro noodle is not alcohol, just so you know. Can I put it in alcohol? Yes. Sure. That's a good, that's a good question. We'll have to yeah. get back. It's not so, mind-enhancing drugs. That's what we really need. It's probably so, in the disclaimer that they read really fast, I think. <laughs> well, we'll speed it up. So, Art, you're one of the sales guru that I use to help teach the young ones in inside sales back in the day. I want to say 20 years ago. When the training program was me, a cassette player, and your lovely cassettes, we would pop a couple of those in there and, and let them run. And when they were done, we would test the kids on them, and then we would throw them on the phones. How For did those you of you start- listening at home, a cassette player is what is like an iPad, uh, an iPhone that plays music, but we had to put in little plastic gizmos to get it to work. Just needed to translate. Wow. That is is amazing. Cassette players. You know what? I, I don't even think I have any of those around anymore as far as the cassette. So anyway, thank you for your business. I I appreciate that. Well, the least you could do is come on the show. So thank you very much. We, uh, you had telesales college. I upgraded to CDs. What, What, how did you get started at inside sales art? What, what got you fired up? Oh boy, how much time do we have? Do you want to go officially inside sales? Do you want to go like my first sales job on the phone? The whole thing. Everybody wants to. This is going to be one of our best uh, shows. So everybody. Well, I, I, I doubt that. But anyway, the first first sales job I had on the phone. I was 13 years old, and took a bus into downtown Omaha, where I lived, with a uh, buddy of mine who was much older. He was 14, and we got a job selling tickets to the police. Fred, I'm sorry, Fraternal Order of Police Fundraiser Circus. And my voice had changed at the time. So we got hired. Obviously, they didn't have child labor laws. And we got hired to call people at home from pages in the phone book. So some people can Google that and find out what that <laughs> is. And we would read this script and get people to actually donate to what probably was a scam organization. I'm not even sure that uh, the organization existed. 
But uh, that was my first paid sales job on the phone and realized that this is pretty cool. I can just talk on the phone and make money and be inside out of the cold, out of the heat, depending on what the season was, and kind of gravitated to those types of jobs all throughout uh, high school and, and college. And, and realized I was kind of good at it. And I did try some uh, manual labor jobs and, and really didn't care for those that much. And then uh, as luck would have it, not luck, I, I graduated, well, graduating, I guess, from college would have been partly luck, but I graduated from Creighton University and had a bunch of job offers and decided to take one that uh, was in telemarketing, which was not a bad word at the time in 1982, because the bell system, I, the job was with AT&T, the old AT&T. Yeah. And it was with their prototype telemarketing center, like their showcase for the whole bell system in, in Kansas City. And there were about 50 people on the phone, and we're all dressed in our blue suits and red ties, and we're consulting with people on how they can do this thing called telemarketing, which of course was business to business sales over the phone, and uh, was pretty good at that as well. Matter of fact, I was really good at it, but was not a good employee because I would kind of a rebel and I would question things and I would see other people get promoted who didn't have the results that I did. So another guy and myself decided to leave and we started a consulting firm at the ripe old age of 23 years old. So that's wow. Nice. wow. That's when I started. And uh, those cassettes that you got, we probably created when I was 24 or 25. I'm not sure. Oh my goodness. <laughs> there's that's the that's the kind of the the, the short version and then then the next 40 years I, I kind of uh or 30 years I got better at it so <laughs> being in that type of a role how have you seen inside sales change I know it's changed dramatically I feel like in the last two years but even before but, that I've always feel like there's a huge shift yeah well yeah, of course what, what has changed is the name what we call it because again back in the day it, it transitioned from telemarketing to telesales to inside sales to i mean today now we're calling it what virtual selling or remote selling and and it amazes me how many people came out of the woodwork and now they're remote selling experts yeah. <laughs> but yeah. what 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 has changed yeah here's the interesting thing guys is that the the human the human brain has not changed in what tens of thousands of years. So basic psychology and influence hasn't changed that much. What, what really has changed, of course, is technology, uh, our ability to access information. And uh, today you would think that salespeople would be better than ever because they have the ability to get so much information on the people that we're, we're calling so that we can put together a more relevant, personalized, customized message that's going to be all about the prospect. But as, as you guys probably see, based on the calls that you're probably getting every day and the ones that I'm getting, unfortunately, that's not always the case. I mean, people are still making the same mistakes today. And I know you guys, with all your years of experience, you, you guys advertise how many mistakes you've made. And I've probably made every one <laughs> as well. But you know, the same mistakes are being made today as they were years ago, which, which I find uh, unfortunate. However, what I, what I find promising, and I know we've got a lot of uh, people new to sales, new to sales leadership, 
is that uh, many, many people are embracing the, the technology and what is new and the ability to make very efficient and, and effective calls by, by using all these tools that are around us. But ultimately, it still gets down to a human talking to a human. So that has not changed, but everything surrounded that, surrounding that has changed. How do you, uh, somebody new to sales that's hopping on the phones, Art, what advice do you give when they're worried about getting rejected? Somebody says no. What do you tell them? Well, I, I've been saying the same thing for years. And I suggest that you look at what really is rejection. Because yeah, a, a myth of sales, which is perpetuated, and there's many, by the way, a big myth is you got to love rejection in order to be successful in sales. You got to be able to, to handle this rejection. And the entire premise of the word rejection itself is, is a fallacy because what is rejection? Is rejection the no that we get on the phone? Is it the person saying, Hey, we're all good. Is it, we're, you know, don't call me anymore. Those are just experiences. Okay. Now, if I attach the label rejection to an experience, what I've done now is that I've told myself a story about what just happened to me. And I can't control what's going to happen at the other end of the phone. I can influence it by doing the right things, right? Even if I do everything perfectly right, which I can control, I have the best attitude, I'm still going to get no's. So why would I call what happens to me rejection when I had really no effect on what's going on at the other end of the line. So I suggest that you, you take the word rejection completely out of your, your vocabulary, because if I can author the story, I'm going to tell myself a better story. And uh, I was working with a client the other day and I loved what they had. I was reviewing their training before we, we did the uh, my part. And uh, one thing they said is that when, when you're embarking on your new calling uh, adventure here, there is no way for you to fail if you're placing phone calls because you can always learn from something and you can always attempt something. So if I can do those things, I can still get a win. And, and now, you know, people listening to this might be saying, well, you know, that's all semantics. That's all well and good. Yeah, you're darn right it's semantics because our attitude is going to follow our, our words and, and our thoughts. It's going to translate into our behavior or, or lack of behavior, right? So why would I say that, oh, if I got to know, I was rejected? You may as well, you know, if somebody says that, they may as well just sit there all day and say, I suck. Because if you say that, it, you know, it's pretty much the same thing as I just got rejected. And that's going to make you want to place the next call, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, I love that about about attitude about attitude i mean i've had several telephone sales jobs the first one was in college and i always describe it as a pretty thankless job you know i had a i had a ladder i had to read from and i couldn't skip around and my boss listened to me on the phone and there was one guy who was awesome and everybody else was not and it was just very stressful for me but those days that were good days were where i didn't I didn't assign any value to actually what was happening. I just did the work and, uh, and that was a big attitude change. So I love that idea about the right kind of mindset, the right attitude and not assigning more importance to something. Yeah. And, you know, to, to piggyback on that is, and, and again, I know we have listeners who are leaders and particularly people who are early on in their career, 
you play such an important role in the development of your people because we've all had managers who were just awful. And, you know, their mantra was place more calls, just place more calls, give me more phone time. And I mean, that's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, your job as a leader is to develop your people and to encourage them and not tear them down and work with them to, to get the results that we're all looking to get. And if something didn't work on a call, let's figure out why it didn't work. And again, look at it as, you know, at least we got a win out of this. We, we learned something and let's move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. Isn't, that, isn't that a two-way street though? In the fact that um, you're going to ask for activity from a new sales rep um, and help work with them on making them more efficient and improve their skill. But what, you, what I find out when I, I used to run a sales team too, is that even though I'm the expert on finance, what I find out is some of the reps come in and expect immediate results and, and they have to do the activity so that we can coach them through the activity because a, a blind squirrel is going to find a nut sometimes. And that sort of mentality needs to be deployed, especially at the beginning. And then it's developing their pitch and their style and their acumen uh, so they can get up and running. Yeah, I mean, a couple things on that. One is, I don't believe that sales is just a numbers game. But with mm-hmm. that said, <laughs> there is a correlation between putting in the activity and getting accomplishments. So we, mm-hmm. we have to have activity. And I mean, we, we can study and listen to content and training forever, but we're never mm-hmm. truly going to be able to truly know it until we do it right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, uh, I, I don't know crap about how to build things, right? I, I could read and watch videos and I could understand the premise of all this. But you know, if I get a drill in my hand, I would probably hurt myself or somebody else because I really haven't done it. And then, but after you, after you do it and you start implementing, I mean, obviously we make the mistakes, we're going to fall down. And, that, and that's part of it. And, uh, and, and that's part of a leader, too, knowing that and, and encouraging people and, and letting them know that, hey, it's OK. Yeah, I, I've made every mistake in the book. You're going to have things that don't work. Matter of fact, we're like you know, baseball players, right? Seventy percent of the time or more, whatever we engage in is not going to get the main result that we want, but we can still get some result, which therefore is going to affect our attitude. And. Um, I mean, you guys have, have had sales teams your entire careers. Mm-hmm. You know that, I, I shouldn't say you know, I don't want to assume this, but, but I know in my experience that really about 90% of what anybody accomplishes in life is due to our thoughts and how we feel when we're doing it. I mean, the stuff I teach, mostly it's the mechanics. It's the what to say, how to say it. But if you have somebody that, you know, it's not bought in, doesn't have a great attitude, they're, they're not going to do it effectively. You know, on the other hand, you've probably had some of those people that maybe weren't the, the most talented, uh, maybe they weren't the, the, the best skilled, weren't the best communicators, but man, they wanted it so badly that they figured out a way to get it done and make themselves better. You know, we, we love those people. We want a whole team of those folks, right? So, so Art, you're talking about what to say. What do you say to those people that say, you know what, I don't need a script or I don't need to write down or rehearse what I'm going to say. They should just wing it. Yeah. Wing it. Yeah. Uh, 
So, and I mean, I could go for hours on this, but how about this analogy? Let's, yeah. let's say somebody was going to write an article for a high profile blog or email newsletter or whatever it is that was going to be seen by all of the top buyers and decision makers in their industry. I mean, if they nail this thing, it's going to cause them to be the thought leader that everybody's going to want to buy from. It could make their career, right? So let's say this person was granted that opportunity. Would they just scratch something out in 10 minutes, two minutes and send it in and say, here you go. No, of course not. What process would they go through? Well, they would do a lot of research, do an outline, you know, do a first draft, have somebody else look at it, fine tune it till they finally had something that was just, you know, so good. It just, you know, it, it, it was singing. It was that good. Why? Because they didn't want to turn in their rough draft. If somebody gets on the phone and does what you said, which is, oh, I'm just going to wing it. I'm going to say the first thing that comes to mind, what have we just turned in? our rough draft. And our rough draft is never going to be as good as something that I can prepare. Now, with that said, after the opening statement, which we can prepare totally, by the way, because still today with all of our technology, most people still answer the phone with some variation of hello, right? So we can know what we're going to say. But then after that, however they respond, we're going to have to be prepared with the other possible responses there, including answers to questions and so on. Now, I could argue that all that other stuff is scripted in a sense, because if you really think about it, anybody that has mastered anything, any type of performance activity, anything they do is scripted because they've gone through it so many times in their mind. Steph Curry gets up there and shoots a three is he just winging it? No, it looks like it's completely natural, but you know, he's shot how many, you know, tens of thousands of shots and can just do it naturally. So the, the key to really being smooth is being unsmooth first and preparing so that you can draw on this bank of information when we need it. Now, does somebody just come right out of college, jump on the phone and you know, reach that level of mastery? No, of course not. I mean, some people are blessed with some communication skills, some improvisational skills, which they, they, they can make it seem a little bit more natural. But then again, I guess I would argue that anybody who's improvising anything is still drawing on some past experiences, right? So I think it's absolutely ridiculous. Anytime I see somebody, especially if they, if they are looked at as an expert or a thought leader, which I don't even know what the hell that means, uh, yeah. and you... You see somebody say, just wing it, just be yourself. I'm thinking they have no credibility in my mind. You don't have any control. Right. I mean, how do you know you're getting better? How do you know which approach works, right? Well, and also for a company to, 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 to tag onto what you're saying, Pete, a company scale, yeah. needs to understand how their product is being marketed and what expectations are being set. And if it's working or not, if that sales pitch is working or not. So I think there needs to be some sort of script, especially when you, uh, as a company, are hiring 100 salespeople. It's hard to control the message, and you're not going to say you're going to control everything in the message, but the meat and potatoes of it. So, Art, one of the things I was I'm thinking of in this um, conversation about, about preparation is how much, you know, so I, I see, I've seen people get trapped in this all I'm doing is preparing and I'm never actually 
making the call and testing my message. And so I'm interested in this kind of cycle, how much preparation is required? How do you get the feedback so you can scale? Like that, I'm, I know that those are all separate, pretty big issues, but it would be great to kind of dig in there, starting with, with preparation. Like at what point do you say, okay, I'm prepared enough. I just, I got, I got to start. Yeah. You know, how does, how does that happen? Well, I mean, we all know people who have call reluctance and they are avoiding placing calls and they're using the excuse of, oh, I'm doing preparation. Mm-hmm. No, you're not. You're, you're afraid to pick up the phone and actually speak to a human. And you know, as long as smart calling has been out, my flagship book originally came out in 2010. We're in third edition now. I've heard the objection from the numbers people saying, we don't have time to do research. We just need to be on the phone, which to me is just stupid. Because when you do some research on somebody and know something so I can make the message more relevant, it's always going to be better than a generic message. Now, with that being said, like you said, how, how much research should I be doing? Well, it's a general question. So I'll give a general answer. I don't know. It depends on the type and complexity of the call you're placing to what level of decision maker. And however, in general, for the most part, you can systematize your research. Let's say I'm doing prospecting calling to an audience where I've got a pretty good idea of what my audience is, you know, to, to use the marketing term, my avatar. These are the people that are most likely, you know, let's say it's the VP of finance and manufacturing companies at you know, $10 million organizations, whatever. So yeah, I've got a pretty good feel for what's going on there. So I, I've got a pretty good feel for what they might be running into and so on. So now I'm going to systematize my research for my group. And that might involve number one, going to Google, which is going to lead me to LinkedIn, which is going to lead me to any other social media profiles. I'm going to go to the company site and I'm going to look for something specifically. Maybe I'm going to use Zoom info and I've got some very specific financial data that I'm looking for. And specifically, if we're talking to somebody a little bit you know, younger, maybe under 30, <laughs> you ever seen them on their phone texting? How, how quickly... How quickly can they pull up information? Pretty darn quickly, right? So how long does it take to do all this research? Not very long. And by the way, every call after an initial call, because how many calls does it take us on average today, if there is such a thing, an average to reach somebody? You know, you, you pick a number, two, five, 10, 15, whatever. Are they having to do the research each and every call? No, you do it once and then we just review it for our next call. Plus we should already have our opening statement and voicemail prepared. So the, the whole argument of, you know, we don't have time to do research is to me is just an excuse. And it's coming from somebody that is managing by dashboard instead of trying to develop their people and put time into an actual qualitative sales process. You got any thoughts on uh, using CRM, Salesforce, what Salesforce came out in 98, 99. Remember the old school shoe boxes and index cards? Uh, how did I got, got one right here, actually. But... Look, <laughs> 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 but... <laughs> you know, you don't do the research every time, but somebody needs to do the research and it needs to be stored somewhere because when you have that turnover, all that work that you paid to get done to record that information needs to get passed on to the next person. Uh, you got any advice for the people in sales apps, the 
sales managers that just had a rep term and go ahead, Carney. What? No, no, sales ops. That's yeah, that's right up my alley. Go ahead. I want to hear this. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I I know virtually nothing about CRM systems, and whenever somebody asks me about them, I yeah, I always defer to experts. Right. And frankly, I probably only have been in Salesforce one or two times. I mean, seriously. And and I find that a, a lot of CRMs are built more for for numbers guys and managers than they are for sales reps accomplishing what they're trying to accomplish, providing them sales intelligence when they need it, you know, making it easier for them to communicate with their customers. Uh, Maybe I'll partner with somebody and develop one of those at some point. But uh, yeah, I mean, being able to store the research that I'm doing so I don't have to to look it up every time, being able to put in some talking points so that Mm -hmm. I can... I can have my opening statement and voicemail uh, ready next time, uh, putting in the things that we covered on this call so that I, I don't have to reinvent the wheel on next call and figure out what, what the hell did I say on the previous call so I can remind them on this call. Um, it, you know, in, in theory, every single CRM does that to a degree. But what I hear from a lot of managers is, yeah, I don't think I've ever heard a manager say, boy, I just absolutely love the one we're using right now. (laughs) Well, I think it all depends on how much integration you have. Like if you integrate all your emails in Salesforce, all your phone calls automatically go through Salesforce, then it's a little bit easier. But if you have a Salesforce and you have to enter everything in and you're just creating more work for the sales rep and the end, the end goal is you want them to sell. Yeah. And we, we know good, how good salespeople are at uh, details and, and yeah. Reasons, right? <laughs> but to me, don't you use a Salesforce, you use Salesforce or a CRM tool. If, if the rep isn't hitting their number, you know, then you got to default to something else. And that's, you know, how much do I like the person? Do I trust that person? And then, you know, trust is built by, are they doing the activities at least uh, and trying to knock down the doors and maybe the product isn't selling and Salesforce gives you a sort of a, unbiased view it depends on if the rep is using it or not yeah but if, if the rep isn't adding anything in there and you end up terming that person the company got no value out of the time that that rep was there because there's no warm leads or information uh jotted down there well yeah. this is a, a personal thing for me just around salesforce which is if however it's developed and used needs to be a collaborative effort among the people who want to use the data. And my personal belief is where you get reps not participating in stuff in Salesforce is one, their manager doesn't use the stuff because their manager never asked for that stuff in the first place. So, and two, uh, they don't understand, right? I think it's, you know, you're not, you're not buying because you're not sufficiently disturbed or you don't understand. Like that's the same thing about using Salesforce. So you got to make sure it's a collaborative effort. And then that's, I'm off my Salesforce soapbox. Well, let me me just add to managers managing by numbers in general. I mean, numbers, what do numbers and data measure? They measure the activity. uh, They they measure what, what actually happened they're not measuring the performance. So uh, I don't know if you guys are football fans, but let's say I'm an inside linebackers coach for a college or pro team, and I don't watch the game, I don't uh, go to practices, but I get the box score the next day. And uh, I pull over Joe, my, my, one of my linebackers, and didn't have a good game, and I go, Joe, 
you were in for 25 plays, you played a total of X number of minutes, you only assisted on two tackles. What's the problem here? I think we're going to have to let you go. There's a guy who's just looking at the numbers, but didn't didn't help with the practice, didn't help what what the guy's actually doing on a daily basis, didn't actually see the, the, the performance itself. And it's me. That's that's the same thing with with sales managers. Yeah, I mean, obviously we need the we need the numbers to figure out you know to measure the activity. But but ultimately, we got to focus on the activity. And by the way, we also need to have the game plan so that we put our people in a position to succeed. And you know, too many people just throw some people into the fire and say, "Here you go. Here's the phone. Here's your CRM. Go make calls. Just be yourself." Yeah. Art, do you got any uh, rule of thumb numbers for success? Like you have a sales team and you have a comp plan, how many people should make quota? Do you have any numbers off the top of your head? You know, when, when the year is done, how many of your people should make quota? Activity numbers, quota, anything? No, um, I, I, I'm sorry to disappoint you there, but I've never been that guy because uh, I, I compare that to how do you build a how house? You, you, you yeah. get a good architect. Can you, can you give me some numbers on that? I mean, how long should it take? Uh, you know, uh, how how many nails do I need? <laughs> what, how many people should it take? Yeah. Because I mean, here's the thing, and 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 I've actually done videos about this. I've written about it, made fun of it. Where again, I'll see the gurus on. And I hate the term guru, by the way, because I'd make fun of people that are gurus. But you'll see the yeah. people saying, well, you need to make X number of calls to get X number of yeses. And the, you know, the selling doesn't start until you've gotten 10 no's. And it's like, um, what is sales? I mean, sales is absolutely everything in life. And anytime somebody's throwing numbers out there in general as it relates to sales, again, I just have to laugh. And it just blows my mind. I've never been able to put my mind around it. So un- unless we're looking at a very similar industry to ours, very similar people, sales process, customers, all those things. I don't put a lot of credibility in, in any numbers that, that people throw out there because it's just such a general thing. So we keep everybody? Oh, yeah. You, keep you, you, <laughs> no, you don't That's, make... Sounds like a so, so, socialism. <laughs> no, you give Socialism the person sales. That, that, you get the participation trophy. What are you talking about? <laughs> Which is a pink slip. <laughs> no, no. I mean, what, hey, let's face it. With, with that said, there's not everybody is cut out for this job. And you know, I'm full of these smart ass remarks. But you know, sometimes people will say, you know, how do you how do you really motivate people to hit quota? And I say, well, you hire motivated people to to hit quota. You, you know, you, you hire right in the first place, people who have a pretty good chance of, uh, of succeeding. And I mean, we can go into an entire thing here as to, as to how to hire, right. And there's a, a lot of different yeah. thought on that, but I mean, as, as you guys know, if I can hire the right people, I'm, I've already uh, increased my chances for, for success, but th- there's a lot of factors that, that go into that. So that being said, Art, do you, for, for pay plans for these salespeople, do you need to have pay at risk? Can you just pay them a flat salary if you're just going to recruit good people? I've never been a fan of not having skin in the game for a job where it's performance-based. I mean, let's, let's face it, it, it is proven that the mentality of the most successful salespeople out there 
uh, is one of being competitive and wanting to be rewarded for our accomplishment. And, you know, that that's mindset. And if I have somebody that's attracted to a job where they have no risk at all, and they know that they're going to get paid regardless of their performance, you're probably going to get that. And, you know, I, I want people that are hungry. I mean, I, I don't want the hard sell, you know, stereotypical used car salesperson, but yeah. I, I want the entrepreneur mindset. And let's face it, sales is about as close as somebody can get to owning their own business without taking the risk or making the investment. And for people with that mindset, have at it. If somebody, and I've heard managers say before, and this to me is stupid, well, you know, I don't want to hire them and, uh, you know, they'll probably go and start their own thing at some point. I'm like, okay, well, what if you hire somebody and they don't, they don't produce for you at all? You still have them on the payroll. Are you happy? The, the voicemail. You call, the person's not there. Do you leave the voicemail? Yes or no? Absolutely. Why, why wouldn't? We've already done the heavy lifting, right? We've already yeah. done our research. We've already prepared what we feel is hopefully going to be this brilliant opening statement. So why wouldn't I leave a voicemail? To me, that, that is, I mean, that, that's lunacy. So with that being said, what should go in your voicemail? Well, your voicemail should not be a pitch. It shouldn't be asking for 15 minutes of your time, asking you for a decision. Here's the only thing a voicemail should do. It should leave a question in their mind that they want the answer to. It relates to some type of possible value that they feel they might be able to receive. Also with the voicemail, we need to lower our expectations. A lot of people all the time say, oh, people are not returning my, my calls on my prospecting calls. Uh, you know, what should I do? I say, lower your expectations. Most people are not gonna return your phone call if they don't know you. Are, you, are you nuts? So what we wanna do is leave an impression. The next time we call, they see our name, our company's name on caller ID. They might say, oh, that was the guy that said he might be able to cut down on our amount of expense that we're incurring for, you know, whatever. And they might pick up the phone or they might reply to your email. And I do suggest using email in an effective way, not in a typical way where so many sales reps are using it now in place of a phone call where they're calling somebody up, giving their pitch and saying, I'd like to get 15 minutes on your calendar. It's like, give me a break. Seriously? Yeah, absolutely. Leave the message. Don't expect a return call if you're prospecting. It's part of your overall communication, you know, the, you know, the cadence or whatever, you know, fancy term they want to call it now. So, well, and I'm just making fun of that, right? <laughs> What well, was you don't like guru, don't like thought leader, don't like cadence. <laughs> you said, hey, if I did all the heavy lifting, if I do all the heavy lifting beforehand and I, I do all the work beforehand, and I get somebody on the phone, I should take it as far as I can on that initial call, not just settle at the appointment. And so one of the things that uh, made me wonder is your thoughts on an SDR, BDR, because their job is to set the appointment, not to take it as far. They might be doing all the heavy lifting, but then all they're doing is setting the appointment. What is your thoughts on SDR and BDRs, which happen to have been, you know, I feel like that's really become commonplace now in the last five years. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, we, we could probably spend an entire day talking yeah. about you know, philosophy of S, SDR, BDR. And by the way, I respect those people tremendously because they're the ones who are many times thrown into the fire and, and in some cases with you know, great training and uh, in other cases, not so much. I mean, my feeling is if I were 
building an organization right now. And if I had an SDR, BDR role, I would make sure that they are overtrained to be able to take that call a little bit further. Because here's, I mean, philosophically, here's, here's the overall problem. I get a high level decision maker on the phone. I mean, I've created some interest. I'm engaging them in a conversation. And then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, stop right there. You know, the meatloaf song. <laughs> I'm going to have to turn you over to somebody else at a time of our choosing, right? It's like, well, wait a minute. You got me all hot and bothered, all excited. And now we're going to have to talk to somebody else. And then another problem with that is quite often that you don't have the adequate communication between that person and the sales rep. So then you get the sales rep on the phone. And I've actually heard calls like this where the sales rep now gets this person on the phone who had a conversation with an SDR, BDR. And the sales rep says, so tell me a little bit about your business. Are you freaking kidding me? Yeah. I mean, and, and again, we're talking to high level decision makers. And again, I've also had decision makers tell me they've been in that situation and they're going, what's wrong with the organizations that are doing this? They get, they finally get me on the phone and they engage me in a conversation. And then they don't think they don't respect my time enough to have somebody on the phone that can actually engage me in something that that's of interest. And, and again, I know there's a lot of different schools of thought on this. For the people who have the SDR, BDR role, I would say if you're going to do anything, overtrain your people so that they can have more of a conversation than, oh, uh, let me ask you a question. Oh, you're qualified. Let me put you in touch with one of our sales reps. And it, to me, that's kind of like, really, you didn't think enough of me to call me and actually get me on the phone. And now you're going to have to turn me over to somebody else, right? That's a great strategic conversation to, to need to have. But I've also seen that argument with um, BDRs and reps like this. I, I love this idea of overtraining the BDR. It's exactly what should happen. And I've seen like their counterpart rep not want the BDR to be overtrained and not want them to be able to take the next step, whatever it is, because that rep feels like it's it's theirs rather than this you know idea, which is Let's take it as far as it can go. We only will have better calls. We we only will understand more yeah. deeply. We only will connect better if if we let ourselves be freely freely do that and and run that process. So that's just an interesting relationship between those two as well. So actually, to to respond to that, where does the problem lie in that situation? It's the culture that that outside sales rep is in because. The, the problem is with him or her, if they feel that way. And they're either uh, insecure about their own ability, they're protecting mm -hmm. their turf. I mean, if I'm an outside rep, and if I truly have a team environment, and I've got my partner out there taking that as far as possible, then there should be a meeting where they're filling me in exactly, or better yet, I might be able to listen to that phone call. And I can hear exactly what was said. So now I can pick it up as if I was on that call. And I know yeah. realistically, that's not going to be true in every single situation. You know, in the ideal world, it would at least be available to me. And you know, luckily, more and more companies are recording their calls, monitoring their calls, you know, using things like uh, exec vision and you know, a few of the, the other services out there. Seeing that team relationship with companies that just shift reps or rep shift territories. So one week I'll be on the 
the call with Pete and then there's a reorg some way or Pete gets promoted and then Jamie's my rep. And you know what Jamie has no idea about is my business. And so yeah, I have to sell like, it to you easily. Right. I have to re-educate Jamie about what I bought while he's trying to sell me. And that's just that team, that team culture is so important, I think, for successful for successful sales. Well, yeah. I think SDRs is also difficult in that situation where you're saying the transition. You know, sometimes SDRs live in marketing, which is mm-hmm. as a CMO, and the CRO is in a different division. I think that creates a bigger divide because the handoff then is here's a lead because the marketing person is just all about making sure that uh, they achieve their goals of getting the leads over to the CRO, but it might not be transitioned correctly because they have different motivations. Yeah. The BDR role, uh, SDR role should live in the uh, CRO world just so there is more of a team and there's not this siloed environment, which happens when you get bigger. I'd say one benefit of not having been employed by a major corporation for many, many years although of course I've seen and worked with hundreds of them, if not thousands, is the dysfunction that exists that just causes you to shake your head and go, how in the hell do you guys stay in business where, you know, this person's not communicating with this person and you got conflicts here. And Mm -hmm. it's like, how does this work? Battle of the budgets. Art, new manager on the show listening and has some BDRs. If they could work, if that manager could work on only one thing with their reps, would you say role-playing would be the most important thing to do or what would it be? (laughs) I'm going to expand that one thing because that one thing would include something else. I mean, role-play what? Uh, Role-play a process. So everybody should have a sales and prospecting process in place that people are trained on with messaging that we're using during this process. And uh, of course, at the early level, it's going to be fairly rudimentary. And then we're going to get more advanced as time goes on. But yeah, most definitely, we've, we've got to role play because it is proven that role playing is one of the best things that we can do to simulate the actual experience itself. But then, of course, ultimately, when we get them on the phone, we want to review those calls with them, review the tape, and then uh, work on what was great? What could be changed? What are we going to do differently next time? So all of those things, I would say, yes, that's the one thing they should be doing. <laughs> and the other thing that I had was marketing. How, how much does marketing come into play to uh, help a rep be successful by softening the market? How do we justify Jason Ferrara's existence, Art? <laughs> well, I mean, God, in the, in the perfect world, if I'm a sales rep, uh, I want marketing sending me leads where I can call them up and they'll say, Oh, I was waiting for your call. Here's my credit card or, you know, something to that. Here's the PO. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, again, I, I don't know how to answer that. I mean, marketing's job is to create awareness, build credibility, you know, pre-sell people on your, your company, the brand, uh, even more specifically on the, the product itself, the fact that they have a need or a problem and uh, hopefully ultimately getting them to raise their hand saying, yeah, I fall into this category and I would love to speak with one of your experts on this as to how you could help me. 
you know, marketing is awesome. I've, you know, I built my business on partly marketing and, and partly sales because I've, I, I mean, I've been doing this thing called direct marketing ever since I've been in business. It's kind of funny. Uh, as an aside, all these people who are now, quote, doing online marketing, you know, the online internet marketing yeah, gurus, yeah. all that stuff is rooted in old fashioned direct response and direct mail marketing. It's funny. People are like, oh, I'm doing this new thing called a lead magnet. Really? I used to send out a booklet of 19 sales tips through the mail that I would actually put it in an envelope and, and lick the stamp on. Um, anyway, so, so I mean, that's marketing, right? Right. So I, I, I think it's, it's, it's absolutely important. Otherwise, you've got sales reps that are going to have to go out there and generate their own leads, which, uh, you know, let's face it, today, uh, a lot of sales reps, most sales reps aren't going to do that because there are companies that are you know, providing the leads, uh, you know, the, the quality of which, you know, what is a lead? You know, how long is a piece of string? It's like beauty. It's in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. I mean, my, my favorite reps to work with are those who don't expect marketing to drive their activity, yes. right? Reps, reps who say, listen, I've, I have been given a territory and I've got ideas and I'm going to go make that happen. Gosh, when I have, re when I have ideas, I could go to the market. And that's, that's when marketing and scales, sales could pour it on together. And it's so much fun because, again, you've got a partnership and a culture that's built where, one group can help someone do something and the other group helps the others do something. And so I, I love those people. I, I dislike reps who sit there and they're like, well, I mean, I'm not getting any leads for marketing. So, you know, there's nothing I can do. And I'm like, well, you know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to drive leads to you because you won't know what to do with them. <laughs> well, what I'm not going to do is give you a paycheck because exactly. you <laughs> And, and you know what, and actually to your point as well, is that today uh, you see more and more of this, you've got sales reps who are creating their own personal branding. Yeah. And that is, I mean, that's another point of contention with some companies because some companies don't want them to do that. Uh, other companies do. So you've got reps who are active on LinkedIn and Instagram or whatever your social media is that their customers might be, be using and they're putting out content and they're building themselves up as the thought leader, as the expert, and they're creating demand for themselves, which of course would then be their, their company as well. That, I mean, that's taken personal responsibility. And I think ultimately what you said is it gets down to personal responsibility. I'm not going to rely on somebody else for my success. Well, Art, thank you so much for uh, coming yeah, thank on. Thank you so this much. Is, uh, you know, <laughs> our typical show is 20 minutes content, 40 minutes outtakes, Art. <laughs> I, think, I think this is the one show people actually listen to the meat and potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> I think the outtakes might be better. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening to the Sassholes. On behalf of my co-hosts, Jamie Carney and Jason Ferrara, what a heck of a show. Thank you, uh, Art Subject. Yeah, Please thanks, rate Art. us five. Thanks, oh, Art. Awesome. Please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Smash the like button on Facebook, Instagram, and follow us on Twitter. Cue the non copyrighted music. Oh, here's Ferrara. Yeah. Hey, Hello, everybody. Hey guys, <clears throat> Art. How are you? Oh man, this is a pleasure. It is mine. 
How can it be your pleasure to be on a show called Assholes? Oh, we're gonna have some, oh it's, we're going to have some fun with that. <laughs> People uh, just want to get on the show just to say they were on it. <laughs> well, it's funny. I mean, I've, been, I've, been, I've been saying that all the time, and I didn't even know it was a show. So. <laughs> Hey guys, Jason's the, Jason's the marketing genius. Uh, Jamie's the finance genius, and then I like you, Art, are the master of bullshit. Okay, well, well we I'm got the master of bullshit. I think we all are. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> it applies to all of us. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that, that's not a F- very unique skill set. That would be an MBS, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good. Okay. How do you and Pete know each other? Are you guys just... I'm a customer. Been a customer for a long, long time. I think I bought uh, Telesales College CDs and then uh, the cassettes. I think it was, what, Business by Phone or something like that. The cassettes. Oh, my God. The cassettes. You're dating. I wonder if a kid today... Pete actually bought the cassettes. Pete actually bought the cassettes like last week. Because he's still got the tape deck in his car. Yeah, he probably does. Yeah. Do you have Do you have the eight tracks though? The eight tracks. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> that, it was uh, It was a mainstay for the kids in training. That uh, let's see, we did. We started out with Ryan Tracy, psychology of sales. Steve Schiffman, cold calling techniques that really work. And then Arts uh, Telesales College, business by phone. How to deal with rejection. Oh, that was part of the protocol. We want to get into sales at our at our company. Awesome. Which which company was that when you were using it? Uh, okay, I saw that in your bio. Okay. Yeah, we'll awesome. We'll, uh, and, we'll, uh, thank you for thank you for the business. And I'm, well, I figured at least you could do is come on. You know, we well, got yeah. this new. Ge- we got this new generation coming out there saying, oh, you don't have to call anymore. I think art art would differ. Well, you know, it, it's funny that I mean, we can talk about this on the show. I think the younger generation gets a bad rap by a lot of people. But I mean, there are there are a lot of people who are young that actually get it. And, and the ones that get it are crushing. It. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think it's fair to indict an entire generation, although it, it's kind of fun. <laughs> I I love indicting. I love indicting. <laughs> so I'm I'm gonna have some fun with your your intro here, if that's all right with you guys. I'm yeah, absolutely, sure yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And if Started it's not, I don't. If it's not, I don't care. So you don't care. You. <laughs> we don't care either, yeah. ever, about anything. Our, our 14 listeners care. All right, go ahead. <laughs> Oh, you're up. <laughs> you don't have to preface anything, man. You just go. All right. He's recording now because he's uh, forgotten to record. Okay. Hot mic, hot mic. Okay, what, what's this? The, what? They want me to read my own introduction? What? I love these guys. What kind of podcast is this? Okay, we'll look that here. All right. We'll edit it out in post. No, I wanted that in. Oh. Okay, we'll put it back in. <laughs> All right, here we go. 
Hi, this is Art Subcheck, author of Smart Calling, and you're listening to the SAS. Ho- what? Is this a typo? It's not? That's the name of it? <laughs> okay, all right, we'll do this again. Hi, this is Art Subcheck, author of Smart Calling, and you're listening to the SAS. Ho- <laughs> the SAS. Ho- That's hilarious. Okay, I got this. Hi, this is Art Subcheck, author of Smart Calling, and you're listening to the SAS Holes. Absolutely, the worst time to think of what somebody's going to say is when it's already coming out of our mouth. Yeah. <laughs> that was a lot on this show. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of dead on post. Sort of need to be scripted out so that people aren't selling it incorrectly, right? Well, it's like sort of being pregnant. So what's some sort of a script, Marty? I mean, you, you, you got kids coming out of school and you're going to rely on your... And what I'm saying. See, don't listen to a finance guy for sales advice. (laughs) A little bit out of place. Yeah. Art, do you ever do any uh, voiceover work for Jeff Goldblum? Because your voice, you two voices are uh, dead, dead on accurate with each other. Is that right? Oh, yeah. I actually was in the movie, uh, what was the one where he comes out of the belly? Oh. Jurassic Park and the Fly, right? Aren't they? Yeah, right. The Fly, the Fly. Yeah, the fly. yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. yeah you, if when he, you should, you should. That could be a little side hustle for you. Uh, actually, yeah, I've, I've done a lot of my own voice work. It pays better than. <laughs> than this. Yeah, now that you've said it though, Jason, I, oh, that's all I hear. Yeah, right. It's like talking to Jeff Goldberg. Wait a minute, I'm not. I'm not getting paid for this. What? <laughs> Hey, Art, uh, can you suggest somebody else to bring on uh, the show that's half half as witty as you are? <laughs> you want some half-wits? <laughs> well, because then they'd match us, or they'd be double-wits. <laughs> well, third-wits. Uh, let me, uh, have you had Mark Hunter on? I have not. I'm going to say you said so. Yeah, Mark's good. Mark's a... Uh, you know, Mark can get serious, but yeah. when, when he and I get on a call like this, I mean, we're throwing stuff back and forth to see who can, you know, outwit the other person. So he's right. he's got a little sass to him. Okay, good. Yeah, he's yeah, he's kind of a sass. <laughs> Sounds like we've reached the end of the show, guys. <laughs> Where to end him? Hey, I thought we did. Nobody let me know. <laughs> Just yeah, editing that out, right? <laughs> Glad you that on post. <laughs> Art, awesome, man. Thank you, Art. <laughs> Thank you, Thank guys. You. Yeah. Yeah, Art, oh, we got to do this again. I pro- I've probably been on over 100 podcasts, and, and I can sincerely say I've never had more fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're all about. We put the sass in your hole. <laughs> all right, we'll edit that one out. All right, we'll edit that out, guys. Over and out. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs>